Welcome to Top Tube, a cycling podcast sharing the joy and pain of amateur riding with a little insight into the pro peloton along the way. With me, as always, are the hot cuisine to my hortacam, David Quainton. Hello. And the Coldu Daily Star to my Coldu Telegraph, Stephen Balby. Good day to everyone. I'm Graham Wilgos, uh, as ever. Um, what should we start with this week, David? Podcast number two, episode two. Um, well, thank you. Uh, can we not start with, is it Hortacam or is it Hortacam? How do we pronounce uh, that? I'm fairly sure it isn't Hortacam, Graham. Otacam? <laughs> what did I go with? I can't remember. I pronounce it several well, no, different ways. I believe you actually did say Otacam, but then you also said Hort Cuisine. So oh, yeah. welcome to Entomology <laughs> well, well, to this. <laughs> welcome to Terrible French Pronunciation. <laughs> Dreadful. Surprise new direction for the podcast. So on, on, on the subject of corrections, as we're going to start now, we've had a couple of people write in already, which is very nice, on our Instagram page, and correct us on which is the highest mountain pass in Europe. Yes, Stephen, no, would you like to... Well, even uh, as I spoke the words last week, I realised that it was not the, as I claimed, the Col de Zoran. Sorry, sorry, it is in fact the Col de Zoran. I said it was the Col de Zoran. Like, oh, oh my <laughs> goodness. Tying yourself oh in all sorts of knots. <laughs> so, on that bombshell. <laughs> Professionals. <laughs> we British blokes who can't speak French and shouldn't try. It is the Col de Zoran in first and in fact the Col de la Bonnet in third, and then in, in second place, the second highest road pass in Europe is the Paso dello Stelvio. You can find out, actually, all of those climbs are featured on our Instagram channel. At, what's, what's our Instagram channel, David? At TopTube Podcast, um, where we, you know, daily two or three updates, and you can see pictures of the team as well. Yes. Um, and, so and for those you more there? ambitious cyclists out there, they can also be found in France and Italy, respectively. Go, go and have a go, if not in February. So what have you been up to this week, Ben? This week, uh, apart from... Uh, so I ran a half marathon over the weekend, which was painful. My you did? Evening. How did it go? Uh, 55 seconds of pride left on the table. <laughs> <laughs> One hour, 59 minutes and five seconds. Nice. Right. So it was, it was more a half stroll. Oh, battled through. The, the, the last 10k were, were tough. So the Tom Ridge was half. Beautiful so it's quite, half it's quite a hilly part of Beautiful. the world, though. Very hilly, yeah. Um, the... the a loop around Tunbridge Wells, um, going out on uh, St John's Road and coming back in uh, through Rustall and Langton Green, for anyone who knows the area, or Langton Green and Rustall, I should say. Um, and it's very hilly, I imagine, probably 30% gradients the whole week. Well, it wasn't quite that bad. Not, not quite so much, uh, yeah, that much of an excuse to be finishing in that sort of time. But the first 10Ks I got through in uh, 51 minutes, just over. 51 minutes and change, and then and then well, tanked. After what, that what, chasing experience, how did you uh, how did you address the issues that you might have been having with you know a little bit too much winter weight? What yes. did you do to address that? Well, I might have polished off half a boxer for one of the big boxes as well, <laughs> Ferrero Rocher, to Excellent. myself yesterday right. evening. Well, we'll guarantee uh, so. I, I was, I, yeah, we'd been out for a beer, hadn't we? So you know, I, I just I, I they're like Pringles, aren't they? Once you pop, they're really more. Stephen, what have you been up to this week? Um. Well, I would like to point out that, um, in fact, Graham, um, I've been up to athletically more running, and and I've planned out my uh, cycling campaign. We've we've actually planned our top tube um, events for this year, and I'm now going to start actually training for them. First one's coming from me. We're going to talk about training a little bit later on the podcast. Um, 
have, so you, when does your running finish? Have you got a particular time? I'm still doing that. I'm going to continue doing it because um, running is good cost running. Um, Graham, to pick up on a point you made there earlier, in fact, um, don't beat yourself up about your relatively modest uh, running time. I beat myself up yesterday over 13.1 <laughs> miles. Thank you very well, much. In fact, to do it again you're, today. You've, um, you've hit on, you know, You've been doing that in the style of, of the cyclists of old, really, who who would make it a point of honour never to do anything other than ride. So when they would, you know, never walk if you can sit down, <laughs> never sit down if you can lie down. <laughs> any um, any energy wasted. And never leave this any a, packet of Ferrero Rochers un, untouched. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's um let's move on to what else is happening in the professional ranks this week. Um, there's been quite a lot of activity actually. I guess the biggest thing. Um, has been the Tour of Columbia, which actually ended up being a really quite exciting race. One in the end. Surely you don't mean the Tour of Columbia 2.1. Tour of Columbia 2.1 to give it its immensely, Tour Columbia 2.1. Immensely catchy name. One in the end by Superman Lopez, uh, head of Sosa, the young uh, Sky signing. Um, and uh, Martinez, uh, EF Education First, leaving uh, Bernal in fourth, who many would have thought was the favourite for it. Any... Any takeaways for you guys from that? Well, only obviously modest surprise that Sosa finished um, ahead of Bernal. Um, By some distance as well. For anyone who missed the Sosa signing by Sky, he was actually going to trek and then Sky essentially swooped in at the last moment when there was some contract hold up. Um, and then Dave Brailsford actually apologised. I wouldn't. I don't know if I should use the word apologise. He certainly, in Brailsford speak, acted slightly sheepishly and admitted, well, you know, you've got to take your chances, but obviously it's not the way we like to do things. Anyway, he clearly saw that Sosa was a talent. He's not very well known, has to be said, but this clearly proves that they found another top Colombian. I was listening to Brailsford speak, actually. In the news recently, he's been linked with, he took a meeting with the Colombian government whilst going at that race. He's been strongly linked uh, with Colombia or, or Colombian government-influenced companies, potentially. Well, do we think this is a do we think this is a coincidence? Then, do we think the fact that the tour of Colombia? Well, first of all, the Sky have sent over something of an eighteen. They sent their, their best Colombians over. They sent Frumi over there, haven't they? Um, do we think this is a coincidence that it's it's getting a little bit more coverage than than usually it might? Um, and the fact that he's, as you say, been been talking about a, a Colombian takeover. Um, Sky well, Sky have certainly got a rich history with Colombians, as indeed does cycling, and indeed we'll be talking about that later in this episode. Um, Brailsford has said that, in fact, it's part of his marginal gains philosophy where he wants to, rather than just welcome Colombians in, into the team and ask them to adapt, he wants to learn about the culture in order to help them adapt and feel at home and thus get the best performances out of them. Who knows whether that's, you know, Spin, I'm sure, sure there's a there's truth to that, but <laughs> it sounds like Brailsford needs their help, doesn't he? If he wants a cycling team next year, well, indeed. Mm-hmm. Okay, then, Graham, Stephen, a lot of great Colombians, some great, um, hopeful young Colombians, uh, at the Tour Colombia 2.1. Uh, Graham, who do we think out of the group of young, up and coming, very talented Colombians is going to have the best career when we look 10 years from now? So Ten years from now, Nairo Quintana could still be racing 
if you're putting the Valverde, but, yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, he could he could still be winning tours. Mm. Um, he's only, he'll he's be, only he'll have graduated to the after dinner circuit. <laughs> he's only twenty nine. Exactly. I had to look this up to confirm it. Oh, so in but fact, there's something 29. here. There's something here because he's falling in the in the now heady tradition of Colombians who are in fact in their mid to late 20s. He looks and like yet he's le- 50. Well, he's a day. Rigoberto Urán, when he was twin- in his early 20s, looked 45 if he, if he was a day. And I've been hearing that in fact Urán is actually the, essentially the godfather of, of Colombian cycling where he has influence beyond, beyond his, his, his nonetheless... Is that because um, he looks like Mick Jagger? Well, perhaps, but apparently he there's he has he commands deference to such an extent that in any Colombian uh, get together they all he is great. Though. We all oh, so we all like Rigoberto around him. There's yeah. something very likable yeah. about Rigoberto. I can I can understand. Yeah. Agrees. He, he he sets the rules at the table, doesn't he? No mobile yeah, he phones and he team meetups, and uh, you, you have to put your phone away when you're at the table. Do you're, we think he'll ever win a, a Grand Tour? Well, he's been on the podium, hasn't he? A couple of times. Do we um, think he'll win one in future? No. He'd have to. Are you saying it, it would be a situation where he focus on the Vuelta and, and win in one of those Vuelta's where yes, the Vuelta, yes, where everyone else is uh, the Vuelta. One of those Vuelta's, yes. um, so I, to answer to answer your yeah. question, I think Bernal is is the main man here. Sky's main man, or he, he's supposedly one of Sky's main men at the Giro this year. Um, and we think he was just a bit undercooked, deliberately undercooked in this race. Uh, yeah, quite quite possibly. They're they're giving him leaders' responsibilities at the Giro this year, um, alongside. Um, it depends where you read, actually. Um, so Thomas is apparently supposed to be having a, a crack at it. Um, I thought he and, said he wasn't. Oh, well, so so so, so Fausto Pinarello has come out this week, or in fact in the, in the last twenty four hours, um, and and said that he's. Uh, He's seen a list of the Sky Riders for the Giro, which includes Thomas. And he, curiously, he calls him Mr. G. So he doesn't, doesn't call him G like everyone else. Doesn't call him Mr. G. Geraint. Um, or, or, or he calls him Mr. G, which is deferential and, and a little bit peculiar. But yeah, if you're um, if you're someone of, of uh, Fausto Penarello's prominence, I suppose you can get away with that sort of thing. Um, so it, it will be between it will be between Thomas. It will be between Bernal. Um, and, and Gianni Moscon as well. well so Moscon's it, there now, it will there not too. be between those two because um, Thomas's immediate response when asked for comment was, "Yeah, I'm not doing that." Oh, really? Ah, so you've seen the follow-up since. <laughs> <laughs> but you think Bernal is going to be? Is will, will he end up being the greatest Colombian rider ever? Has he got that sort of potential? Well, Quintana could still win if, if, if he went and did what Froome's done in his thirties. He'd still win five tours. So Bernal's got to go some way to be to better Quintana. Quintana's won the Vuelta, he's won the Giro, he's won uh, two stages at the Tour. He's won two stages at the Giro. Uh, his his Palmares are a serious. He's got a serious, seriously impressive roster there. I mean, it's conjecture. I mean, ultimately, Colombian cycling is very exciting. In 2017, they produced, they made up, comprised, if you will, uh, seven of 180, 98 riders in that year's Tour de France, which for a non-European country was an extremely high level of participation. And we've been doing some research into Colombians' current and past. And Colombian cycling is in a very healthy state uh they've always produced some very talented climbers if not all round cyclists and that's because ultimately 
Colombia is very hilly country, but it's also uh, it's a very beautiful country. But it's also it lacks a certain degree of infrastructure, which is why Naira Quintana famously would is reputed, truthfully, to have ridden his bike over a climb to school and back ten miles, and was even reported by some people to have towed his sister on the back of his bike. Um, a lot of days too so it's a means of transport it's also a means of um, transcending you know as with football transcending some difficult circumstances and what is certainly true is that Colombians love their cyclists it's a hugely popular sport in that country as has been evidenced by the huge turnout at the Tour Colombia 2.1 rider presentation which filled an 80,000 seat stadium that's incredible isn't it can you tell me in the uh, Tour Colombia 2.1. 2.1. Who were the only two non-Colombian finishers in the top 25? Froome. Incorrect. No, he's not in it. He, because he did a massive pull to try and get Sosa the win in the last stage, he led the pack for some time and then dropped off. To... So, not Froome? Oh, Alaphilippe? Alaphilippe was... Uh, Cracked, didn't he? Uh, he was fifth, I believe. No, sixth. He was, he was the Felipe was sixth last stage. Behind uh, Superman Lopez, Sosa, Martinez, Bernal, Quintana, who won the last stage, then Alaphilippe. Who was the only other non-Colombian in the top Who's 25? Alaphilippe. Robson loves an extra ray on the end. Um, was it uh, Jens Voigt? <laughs> Jens Voigt. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the money myself. <laughs> <laughs> if, he's, if he was up there. <laughs> give me the prize money myself. What is the, what is the Spanish for shut up legs? Uh, you'll have to tell us. Lawson Craddock. Oh, really? Um, who oh, obviously all... lit up the Tour de France last year by coming last. Is he back, back to full health? From Remind us, um, remind us of his injuries. Well, let me tell you. So, Lawson Craddock, as I said, lit up the Tour um, in 2018. He actually crashed on the first stage, which caused a hairline fracture in his scapula, which, um, if anyone knows, would make it very, very difficult to hold in a fight, particularly, he said, during the TT stage. He's he, screaming with pain, isn't he? He ended up uh, the Lantern Rouge. He said he would donate $100 for every stage he finished to the Greater Houston Cycling Association for the rebuild of the Alkek Velodrome, where Craddock got his start in cycling. Um, it was damaged by Hurricane Harvey, which we know there's a lot of damage in the region. Um, a GoFundMe page was set up, and by the end of the Tour de France, he raised $200,000. Yeah, that's seriously impressive. Incredible. Anyway, he's back to full health. Um, he was actually, he was, he, his team, he talked in some detail. He's quite a mature chap. Um, and he was distanced from in the team time trial by his team almost immediately. And some people asked him, well, you know, did you resent that, having to ride on your own to come within the cut-off time? Which was... On that basis, uh, uh, an astonishing ride and, and why probably it garnered so much media attention mm. just on that basis. Um, and obviously he said, well, you know, we're here for the team and I didn't resent that at all. But, you know, I wanted, I don't want to go home after two stages. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, his ride was in the grand tradition of, of rock hard cyclists in, in the vein of Tyler Hamilton, who rode almost the entire tour. Back in the 2000s with a broken collarbone and ground down his teeth so much they had to be, with pain, that they had to be recapped afterwards. Or Alberto Contador in 2000. So the benefit of Tramadol there. Well, indeed. Well, surely that's encroaching line. And Tramadol, oh, was, was, and Tramadol was legal. legal. Is it? And okay. I'm pretty sure he's, he's written about it. Well, talking of uh, <laughs> other people who uh, have no involvement in doping, Alberto Contador um, <laughs> <laughs> rode... Uh, 
70 kilometers with a broken leg before in fact his team back in 2013 the tour that uh sorry 14 the tour won by Nibali that both Contador and Froome crashed out of on consecutive days and had to be put in the car by his director sportif um who who apparently had to virtually beg him to get to give up and get in the t- in the car you've you've been, you've had some bad injuries i remember you calling me up almost in tears after Ending up riding down a motorway with your with a rag stuffed into a hole in I your mean, leg. I've I've never cried. I'm, I'm a cyclist. You don't do that. But I like you footballers. But um, uh, yes, that is true. I was one. I was 17. It was one of my first forays of long distance rides. And back then, in the late 90s, um, there wasn't much. Uh, there wasn't much online or or resources to learn if before before you joined a club. Uh, how to be a cyclist so I barreled off with tracksuit bottoms and some sort of tennis top and, and rode 50 miles um, from Berkshire up to Oxford um, and some way back and, and started to feel really funny and I couldn't work out why I later worked out I was just hungry really hungry and it was in fact a bomb um, and started to not hold, manage to be able to hold myself up on the bike anymore and I got to I remember getting through Maidenhead and mistakenly joining the M4 um, and riding down the hard shoulder of the M4 with not not understanding why cars were hooting at me. And then I, I can only piece this together in retrospect. I think I blacked out through lack of sugar in my blood and, and woke up rolling along the ground. I woke up mid-roll <laughs> and find that I'd taken chunks out of my hands and arms in many places. I still bear the scars. And and my bar, the plug on my that held in my bar plate could bar tape and managed to embed itself in my knee so I had to take that out and stuff my glove in there because I could see the bone um so so yes as David says I probably called some people and said well I'm in a spot of bother and ended up having to ride back um to, to home anyway at what I can only assume was the slow in the slowest the slowest pace any any cyclist has ever has ever undertaken oh, awesome. you ever had any bad accidents have you seen any bad accidents Brad? Well, so I've been behind you two when you were far too close to each other. I've forgotten about that. Far too close to each other. And I, you, you know you sort of sense when something's going to happen. Or you kind of get a, not quite a, a spidey sense, but that sort of, I don't know, that ill sort of sitting feeling yeah, yeah. that we're going a bit too quickly here and you're a bit too close. So I just started to pull off the back, just a, just ease off just In a what, little. What event was this? This was the Cycling Weekly... Mm, southbound so a mix of abilities and we were at the head of a, a group and barreling along and I realised we'd missed the turn someone, and someone in the Surrey lanes yeah, yeah. and you, you were the, the front of our well, I did the thing chain that you should never ever do which is jam your brakes on suddenly and in my defence I only did that because I assumed <laughs> I'd gone so far <laughs> past the turn <laughs> I assumed we'd gone so far past the turning that I was the only one who'd missed it so I was gonna, just going to turn around and expect no one to be behind me and everyone to be gesticulating yeah we've gone this way yeah. and it turned out there were 20 people behind me including David one centimetre as he, as he always is just you know right there on my wheel I jammed the brakes on he flew into the back of me, I flew as a consequence. Well, no, I think David smashed. So, from my point of view, so I don't know that your recollection is entirely accurate that you had you had other things to worry about at the time. You were far too close to, the, to each other. You braked to turn right. There was there was a car coming towards you as well. Um, David managed to smash into the side of you at a right angle, so he sort of caught your 
caught your the, the, your sort of right arm and and, and leg, I suppose, and the, the the right side of your bike. David then did a full three hundred and sixty degree <laughs> flip and somehow managed to land on his feet. <laughs> you, I just forgot where, about it. <laughs> where you you just face planted into the curb and you were incredibly lucky given the the speed of the impact. You were incredibly lucky to eventually get yourself up. And I had to bunny hop over David's bike. I had the presence of mind and the Peter Sagan fearlessness <laughs> if and, you've and bike right there in my head. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what is, I, what I, I, is getting to, though, is the fact that as, as he saw his colleagues just splattered all over the road he was like did anyone see my bike handling though amazing <laughs> so, well it was sensational right? you never, neither of you will ever know it you never believe me anyway uh you you managed to find someone with painkillers as well with uh, with paracetamol for oh, it, so it was fine complete... after my my hand had gone completely numb after about 10 miles later it was absolutely you sh- shaved a yep. few miles off as well didn't you <laughs> yeah. you, you yeah. cut a couple of corners and then yeah. eventually crossed the line i was convinced i'd broken several of my fingers i've uh, well, I think I finished an hour ahead of you, but okay. <laughs> Let's say half. But, yeah, but you, you, well, <laughs> you, minutes, you yeah. cut off half the course from that point. You didn't, you didn't complete the course. That's that's not scandalous. scandalous at all. The, the, Someone that did not cut off any corners in the last week um, is Gorka Izagiri. Izagiri? How are we pronouncing that? Izagiri. Izagiri. Knocked his brother Eon. It's Eon. We'll go with it, Eon. Anyway, Gorka won the uh, Tour La Provence by zero seconds from Simon Clark. The Tour La be, Provence? Which must it's be... a chilly old time to go do that. Oh, no, I mean. To lose by zero seconds. Well, but nevertheless, the Tour, Tour La Provence, which, by the way, went over the Galibier. Explain to us how he's managed to lose by zero seconds. And explain to us why the organisers of the Tour of Provence are holding the Tour of Provence in February. Well... He lost by zero. He won by zero seconds uh, by finishing ahead in more stages. <laughs> wait, 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 I'm literally making that up. Uh, I'm going to leave this in. I have no idea. I should have researched it. I'm getting looked at at the moment with with kind of condescending incredulity. He won. He won because he was a judge to have won according to the according. stated rules. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is why he won. So do we do we do we assume that he finished? Further ahead in the pack, on uh, how many stages is the Tour of Provence? Have you literally just picked up that you? It's the Tour de la Provence. Good. Yep. It is currently reading off ProSightingStats.com. A number of stages. Let me tell you how many. There were four stages. Oh, we'd love to know. Was one of them a time trial? Uh, one of them was a time trial. Well, there you go. Then that's why you finished north seconds because it was actually tenths of a second as 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 is measured in time trial. Right, shall we move well, on then? Yeah. Would you like to ask my second question? What what why are they staging the Tour of Provence of all places in and Germany? going up the Galibier? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Can you pe- go up the Galibier? No, it's the Petit Galibier. Ah. I think we should all have a go. It's on the, there's a little Galibier that you can go up this time really? of year. In, 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 in Provence, as opposed to yeah. in the Alps. Um, well, obviously, they didn't go up onto. Uh, why not? Why not ride in the south of France at this time of year and just stay below a thousand metres? Sounds like. So, where, where do they go? X? They did. They finished in X on Provence. Yeah. So, the Tour of Aman, the last two stages uh, have been won by Alexei Lutsenko after. Christoph won the opening sprint. Uh, Lutsenko is now obviously top of the GC, but it's been a good start what to the season. What the Tour of Amman? Heat. Oh, isn't and, it? And the utterly green, flat. And the Green Mountain. No, no there's no, the it's Green lot, Mountain, famously, yeah. which is uh, characterised by them having done a lot of... They've, it's very man-made, essentially. Paid a lot of money. There's a lot of money there to 
stage the race. It's they've artificially constructed a, a, a race a race track up the mountain in the same way you might create a race track for an F1 car. So, well, I wouldn't go that far. Um, anyway, the point is, it's a race. It's hot. Uh, Chris Froome's won it a couple of times. Um, who is in it this year? No one who will contend in any of the Grand Tours. Ergo, shall we say it's of little consequence for the rest of the season? It okay, used is, to be, is it of consequence for the rest of the season? It used to be the first indication of where people Sprinters. like well, yeah. where people like Consador and Froome were. Um, and now it's sort of they've they've, it well. It's only this. Like, it's only this this season, isn't it? Because everyone's gone to Colombia. Well, race is only as good as its competitors, so perhaps yeah. it will come back next. Year. Okay, and that's the news. Welcome to part two. One thing we briefly mentioned in part one was uh, a sock bet. Graham, do you want to do you want to tell us what a sock bet is and, and why you might hear that one or two times over the course? Also, of... I didn't cut the course on the box hill sports eve. I have proof on Strava. <laughs> yeah. I will put this on Instagram. Socks, Fear socks, that. socks, Graham, Fear socks. <laughs> the sock bet. How did it start? How did well, we start doing the sock bet. So it was over. Richard I think because 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 none of us could afford anything more to wager than a pair of cycling socks. <laughs> is so therefore, Port's name Richard. <clears throat> is Richard Port's full name Richard? More on this story next Fasc- week. <laughs> fascinating man sometimes, aren't you? Unfortunately, not today. Yeah. <laughs> um, the sock bet, equally interesting, possibly, <laughs> arguably. Uh, if we shout socks, then we are effectively wagering a pair of socks on, on who is right or whom is right. At least 50% of the time it's been on whether Richard Port will ever win a grand tour. Richard Port is who is wrong, isn't it? Why um, do you keep saying Richard Port? I said Richard. Did you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway. They can't just be any socks, though, can they? No, they have to be cycling socks. And yeah. I think well, there the should surf. also be a rule. Yeah, well, yes, and they can't be the same cheap cycling socks that no, you keep no. buying. Because that, <laughs> that really frustrates me. You, you, a hard-worn, sorry, hard-won pair of, of cycling socks, and you get the cheapest, and they're nasty. And they, well, I've still got them with the cardboard label still on, the, in the drawer at home. I've got two pairs. That's why like Graham is, telling, is to say Mr. David. Not <laughs> <laughs> That's because you slept none of yours, yes. <laughs> so I, I think Stephen currently owes me three pairs. I think I owe David a pair. David might owe me a pair. No, I can understand particularly calling for Graham, given that he's provided David with all his kit in the last five years. Um, I, can't complain, I can't complain about that because like, I didn't pay for it in the first place. Yeah. Should we leave that in? Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> journalists get given free yeah, stuff. Yes, well, I, mean, so, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's a secret, particularly. Um, being a journalist, uh, as you are, you were invited uh, to see, and I'm just going to pick up the name you've dropped on the floor in episode one Simon Gerrans. There it is. Clang. Clang. Thank you. He, well, he was good value. So he's. As we said last week, he's um, in London because he lives here now. He's doing the Goldman Sachs internship. Stephen's uh, sports, sorry, sports internship. <laughs> Stephen's corpsing. Come back to us, mate. Just what's carry going, on. What's we going can, on? We can have laughter in the what's, back. What's killed you? What's <laughs> killed you? You know, got the giggles. Sorry, apologies, Greg. So, Garens is, uh, is is doing the sporting internship at Goldman Sachs. Yep. Internship uh, awarded to... Um, people who have pursued a sporting career and have um, chosen a, a change of scene. And uh, how was their, it? Their he... nine to five. Very personable, as 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 we know, he is. He was. So I I, I asked him a few questions um, 
who's the biggest psychopath in the in the peloton? Well, Ooh, should we guess? Well, well that, so the way I came onto that actually was to ask: Are there more psychopaths on London's roads or in the city? Because obviously he's now working in the city, um, and he said, and "Since since the advent of um, um, Uber, I would say that there are more psychopaths on London roads because." And I, I, I think it's probably 50-50. Actually, sorry, that's not what I asked him. I asked him, are there more psychopaths in the pro-peloton or in the city? Uh, and what do you think he said? Uh, that's I, I suspect he's not been in the city long enough to start criticising it. He's, and so he's, he's, he, he very, very quickly said the pro-peloton. Uh, and then when I asked him who is the biggest psychopath in the pro-peloton, uh, who do you think? John Degenkolb. Stephen? I don't know. Oh, would you like to hazard a guess? <laughs> Uh, someone notably psychopathic since the retirement of Robbie McEwen. Hmm. Um, I reckon Wiggins had four at times. He can be. I'm going to put us all out of our misery. Yeah. Um, Peter Sagan was the man he picked in in, in terms of his bike handling um, and his, as I mentioned earlier, actually fearlessness, mm -hmm. uh, willingness to push his ability and the bike's uh, sort of technical boundaries right to the limit. Um, the best thing I've ever seen in cycling is footage from when Sagan bunny hopped sideways over a curve going at 80 kilometres an hour in the finish of a stage. He did it fully sideways, and if he'd have caught his wheel at all on the curve, this was in the middle of the road, it was about four inches high, he would have absolutely stacked it, landed on his head at 80 kilometres an hour. He cleared it completely and just carried on. And, and there were, the best thing was that the riders on his side of the road just looked at him stunned. Looking for him, it's just normal behaviour. Um, anyway, we'll see if we can bring you the the, um, the recording from the Garen's interview because there's some there's some good stuff in there. I uh, feel I but... feel um, I should apologise to John Degenkolb because the only reason I said John Degenkolb is because he was in, him as a it's, it's because he was in my head because he's done something really nice. Oh, he's a lovely, he's a, yeah, well, he's, he's a lovely man. He's a really actually, lovely guy. Yeah. So apologies, um, John. Uh, in this case, psycho is a compliment. It means excellent bike. Yes, and, yeah, exactly, and, and almost lost his fingers. John Degenkolb two of them. Uh, learned uh, in the last uh, week or so that the junior Paris-Roubaix race was under threat. And so set up a GoFundMe page and raised uh, more than €10,000 in one day. In fact, he uh, passed uh, €14,000, which is more than twelve grand in English money, um, which is great and, and will help secure the future of a, of a race that's really important. So... Um, <laughs> He's actually clearly not a psychopath. He's a very nice guy. Is it, is it, is it important? Is Paris, the junior Paris-Roubaix race really that important to have teenagers having to negotiate huge cobbles in the mud? Because um, at that age, you're teaching them how to ride a bike in a group, how to train, how to conduct themselves um, on the bike and off the bike. And to do a race like that is, for me, probably not going to be massively beneficial overall. But uh, obviously some people like it um and indeed yeah well it's great great for the spectators anyway so anything more interesting from Gareth? how how was the helmets i mean helmets so, don't really change that much today well was, this is what he was there to, to talk about and there to launch and this is a product that he's invested in himself apparently which is why why he was there but he's he's part of uh, a part of a company or invested in a company that's launching a new helmet the hexo helmet uh, where you go and have your head scanned and they will they will so you've got to wear a shower cap so that you're uh, your hair doesn't get sort of interfere with the, uh, the the lines that they're looking for to be able to produce this um, bespoke helmet tailor-made for your head. Um, but it's uh, as as the name would suggest, it's um, it's built with 
uh, sort of several interlocking hexagons that will apparently distribute um, any force that the, the helmet undergoes uh, and, and dissipates the force um, as, as, it, as it hits your head rather than um, sort of causing you real damage. So, so in, in theory, in nice. theory, if you are hit, so this, this puts aside the argument on, on whether or not you are safer wearing a helmet or not, because the, the one theory is that if you are not wearing a helmet, then a car driver will look at you and think, he's not wearing a helmet or she's not wearing a helmet. Yeah. Um, and therefore, I'm going to give them a little more room. Whereas, if you are all told, all geared up for urban warfare, essentially, as as several of us feel like we have to, um, then uh, they 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 just won't give you necessarily the room that they should. How did it look? Is it right? It looked like your average cycling helmet. You don't see the hexagon pattern, and you don't see the, the layers not underneath. Amazing, but, um, but it you know, uh, it it looked like a serious piece of kit. But there's one of the one of the few areas. Certainly, for for amateur cyclists such as ourselves, that you've not necessarily had any sort of advance in well for as long did as helmets you, have been designed. Did you see since, maybe, since phone helmets came along? Maybe two years ago, there was there was a helmet invented that was a helmetless helmet. And it basically sat round like an neck, airbag, and it was an airbag. That yeah, inflated. you had to really trust yeah. it. Except it was, I mean, it was a lot of money for each one. It could only be used once. Yeah, but uh, it's obviously not taken off because I've, I've not seen many people. Or maybe I have. Maybe I've seen people using them all the time. You just don't notice. I just yeah. don't notice. You don't wear a helmet, Stephen, do you? So what? What's, what's the crack? Um, a lot of the time, you don't wear a helmet unless you're mandated to wear a helmet. Yes. Um, well, except perhaps going down a mountain. Um, for the most part, um, I don't. Perhaps that's because I'm perverse. Perhaps it's. I grew up not having to wear one. Um, in fact, uh, the cycling touring club back in about 1999, which was one of the main cycling lobbying groups at the time, actually said to the government, "Please don't make wearing a helmet mandatory, uh, because you'll actually put a lot of people off." And people in Denmark, one of Europe's biggest patisserie, patisserie Patisseries, countries for cycling don't wear because they just ride safely. Um, having said that, obviously, I wouldn't advise anyone else not to. That's personal. Does ride safely thought. mean ride slowly, though? So, uh, often like they ride with respect. Cars treat them with respect. Um, I mean, realistically, on the road, when you're out for a training ride or a commute, you're not pushing the boundaries such to the extent you're you're going to lose control of your bike and you're probably going to be hit by a car in which case i suspect that you're going to be badly off whatever the case um, well, one of the fun things about commuting i find is when you get an open stretch of road and you can gun it effectively that's that's what i enjoy yes and i like to feel the wind in my hair i would i would reiterate you know i'm aware this is an unpopular choice but i just i guess i just resent this culture that's Grown up, where if you're not wearing a helmet, you're you know, yeah, you're vilified. You 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 become a pariah um, because it wasn't always like that. And ultimately, you know, but you don't see that. You don't see that in Holland. You don't see that in in Denmark. But they do all seem to ride more more sedate. Yes, but that's part part of the culture. Yeah. Whereas whereas you almost still with a bit of fear riding on certainly on London roads. It comes back to the lack of respect for cyclists or lack of respect for other people. Well, yes, indeed, yes. Maybe that I, I just I feel even commuting I feel quite competitive on a bike. I've actually parked the competitive uh, beast within mm. when I'm commuting. It's it's just got to be it with right, right. Well, that's <laughs> that's probably a side product of, of yeah. uh, what what came first, really. Um, 
I've parked that competitive urge, that instinct, and it's getting from A to B, riding pretty defensively, riding at a suitable speed where you can. But yeah, yeah it's you know if I'm gonna if I'm gonna ride to race or ride to for for the feeling of having that romantic wind through your hair, Steve, then uh, I'll do that on, you know on a closed road sportive. Do you know what I realised um, last week while commuting in is that I commentate in my head when I'm riding. You're a child. And but the thing is it's not commentary like it's not Phil Liggett. It's it's actually Murray Walker. So I'll be doing F one commentary in my head while I'm riding down the uh, embankment. Would you give us case give us <laughs> No I would not case because we'd all love to hear it. Um, maybe I'll try and record it. And up and bang bang <laughs> just <laughs> look so at that guy go. Uh, is something like the yes. approximation that goes in my head. But I, I did realise that the other day, and that's embarrassing. Is the bike ahead of you absolutely unique, except for the one behind, which is identical. Which is identical, yeah. Um, one thing that I do often see on the commute, on the ride-in, is people who have got headphones in, which seems insane to me, to actually take away a sense while you're riding in. I mean, do either of you well, have headphones? That is, in fact, illegal. Is it indeed? No, I think every chance you can give yourself... Um, so why block out a sense that could that could save you? Well, more to the point, you're actually putting. Unlike me, if I choose not to wear a helmet, if I get hit, it's my it's me I'm putting at risk. But by not hearing what's going on around you, you're putting others at risk. I know people who like to wear headphones when they're doing climbs because they can listen to music and, and get into the rhythm of that, and that's that's fine. That makes sense. And that's because what that's Zwift is for. Yeah, but um. Yeah, having headphones on while you're riding into work in a in a city like London or, or wherever seems like a very silly thing to do to me. Join us for part three. Welcome to part three. We mentioned uh, mentioned a bit about Stephen riding around without a helmet on in the last section. Are you going to be doing a lot of Training without a helmet on this year. What are you what are you working towards, Stephen? Two Everesting attempts on some exceptionally steep and difficult roads in in Britain. I'm not going to reveal which ones because the first person to Everest a road officially in Britain gets to take their place in the annals of, of Everesting a specific web website for this purpose and gets to wear. A very special grey jersey for the purpose. Graham, do you want to do you want to enlighten people what Everesting is if they don't know? Well, riding up a particular climb as many times as it would take to do the equivalent distance uh, of riding up Mount Everest. Are you going to do any training this year? Or are you I sticking am, rigorously I am. to your rigorously. No, I'm rigorous. rigorously uh, going to head to Girona for mm. a week or just outside Banyoles, mm. uh, Rocco Corba Cycling, the home of. Uh, Ashley Norman Passier um, and her husband Carl Passier. Yeah. Uh, so, having visited them once before, they've very kindly invited me back. Um, so, I'm going to go and do five days of, of climbs around Girona, which will include, of course, Rock of Corba, mm. um, the climb that David Miller has named his cycling club after. Um, and there's a, there's a climb called the Mother of God climb. Although it's, uh, <laughs> I think that's that one's only. It's 18.5 k's, but it's, I think the average is 5%. So it's a sort of slow poodle up. Mm. Um, but it's 
there's a reason so many pros choose to make their base in Girona. But you've got some beautiful climbs around there and some beautiful weather. And that aside, I, I mean, in my head, I envisage doing laps of Richmond Park first thing in the morning as it starts to get lighter. Yeah. But I think we all know that that's very So you mentioned marginal gains earlier. And we were also talking, and then you were also talking about wearing uh, a skull cap to uh, get your head measured. Yeah, a shower my, cap. My question okay. is, and maybe it's something to mull over over the next week, is if marginal gains are so important, why do cyclists have hair on their head? Yeah, you love this, don't you? So, so Laura Kenny. <laughs> I thought she's going to shave her head. Well, she has extremely long, heavy hair. And if, if, you're, if you're spending millions of pounds to make a screw on a bike smaller yeah. and lighter, why yeah. on earth would you have an answer that? It makes no difference to her. I can answer that. It's because cyclists are hard and also vain. Much like <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's a good way to end the show. No, yes, so it's all you. Well, certainly vain. Oh, no, we can't say that. That's, <laughs> are you hard, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely staying in. Graham? Um, uh, it's been a pleasure. Graham, have you made any amendments to your training regime? Well, week? last week I was pro cake. What do you think I am this week? Well, from the sounds of it, you appear to be pro Rocher. Is that pro, pro Ferrero Rocher, yeah. Did we mention that at the, the top of the show? You've been pro Rocher? We, yeah. yeah, we certainly mentioned it's your destroy a whole, Destroy a whole box, well, half as, a box. As much actually, a surprise to him as, as anyone, really. Well, they're, they're ideally wraps you can keep in your pocket yeah, as yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> right, uh, goodbye, everyone. That's goodbye from the professor there, and goodbye from me. See you next week.